Assalamu alaikum everyone. Uh, welcome to the first episode of the Harks podcast. Uh, I'm excited to be actually hosting this. It's been quite a while. It's been a long time coming. And um, I just want to give a little explanation towards this new sort of initiative that um, Harks has introduced. Um, so of course, it's called the Harks podcast. And uh, it's a six episode series where we talk and tackle about questions that uh, need more sort of answers or context towards. We will be having guests around the world throughout. And uh, we it's, it's a bit of a, it's a, it's a bit of a hard one in terms of uh, this uh, sort of podcast because we do have a lot of challenges going through. But uh, inshallah, hopefully everything goes well and I'm actually thrilled to get this sort of started. Uh, I am your host Shafiq and I will be hosting the six episodes and uh, inshallah we will be uh, joined by co-hosts in the future uh, for certain episodes with special guests of course. On today's episode we're going to be taking uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the Husseini lifestyle. We want to try and figure out what that term really means, how we can implement this lifestyle into our own lives today. And to help guide us, we have none other than Sheikh Nabil Awan himself. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Thank you so much for coming on today's episode. No problem at all. Thank you for inviting me. 100%. I think it's always a pleasure to see you on our screens normally. I think you've been been quite the rave ever since last Muharram. No. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I don't know what all the noise is about there. (laughs) No worries. Um, uh, can't, can't complain. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Um, now, Sheikh, before we actually get into today's topic, um, I just thought that maybe you could give the listeners at home a little background of yourself, of course, if they don't already know you. Um, uh, I guess the, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know where to begin. Um, <laughs> the, I was born in uh, Peterborough, England. Um and uh, after my A-levels, I decided to move to Qom to pursue Islamic studies. Um, midway uh, through that, I came, I did my undergrad in psychology. I did my master's in psychology. Um, just before COVID, we moved back to uh, Qom and then the pandemic hit. I've been doing this, seems like almost a lifetime, but about 17 years now. Uh, around the world uh, but it's not just the only thing I do it is the the thing I love the most uh, traveling to different communities meeting different people but I you know have sporting hobbies as well martial arts hobbies so uh, I, I like to keep myself busy in all different uh, aspects different things um, I've had businesses I've done roles as business development uh, manager and stuff like that. So alhamdulillah, I've had a varied uh, experience in life. I've held political office as well in the UK, the Labour Party. Um, So alongside, alhamdulillah, all I say is that everything that I have uh, and all the experiences that I've had is because of... Ahlul Bayt because of this service that I've been doing in whatever small way, but they've blessed me with so much in my life. Hundred percent. I think uh, that's that's something that 
honestly, I, I think we all are kind of blessed to have is the, that love and that drive that helps us throughout the day in terms of even the, uh, regards towards the Ahlul Bayt. I do know that you are um, a bit, uh, you're an instructor for uh, Kung Fu. Uh, is it Wing Chun, I believe? Yeah, 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 Wing Chun. <laughs> yeah. That's actually a very uh, interesting uh, sort of uh, skill to pick up in a sense. I don't think many people have done that. Um, yeah, I think I think Wing Chun became famous after the Yip Man movies. Donnie uh, oh, okay. Yen in there. And so a lot of people uh, came to know what Wing Chun was. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I guess the earlier practitioner, Bruce Lee himself, uh, first yeah. martial art he ever learned was Wing Chun. Uh, mm -hmm. And from that, he created his Jeet Kune Do. Uh, martial arts as a whole, there is a there is a philosophy around most martial arts. Probably not Krav Maga. Wouldn't recommend mm -hmm. that. But uh, okay. uh, <laughs> but uh, generally, Eastern martial arts. There is a there is a fascination on my part with them, purely because of. There's a philosophy, there's a discipline that comes along with learning a martial art. You know, there's, um, you discover your own limits as well. And then if you have a good teacher, you know, alongside that, uh, you learn that it also humbles you. Some martial arts uh, and some instructors will make you arrogant. They'll make you think that you are the best martial artist. Um, I was lucky to have a uh, an instructor who effectively said, look, this this one size doesn't fit all. And this is one of the reasons that Master Yip Man was ostracized by much of the martial arts community because he said, look, one size doesn't fit all. You need to yeah. amalgamate different martial arts to be able to uh, become a master, really. And I think that same philosophy applies uh, even when we look at Islam or we look at our day-to-day -day life. You yeah. cannot be one-dimensional in whatever you do. You must learn and become a more rounded person in order to become a better person or to become a person even. You know, if you're just one-dimensional, you'll never ever be able to really uncover your truth. Um, and that's, you know, uh, there's a lot of, at times, deviations, controversies, new things that come up and and people are like oh yeah this is really wrong with the religion you know for 1000 years we've been told the wrong thing here's yeah. what the truth is and you're like mm, you know it's a one dimensional approach the religion yeah. is multi dimensional the the sciences of the religion are multi dimensional you can't just take one uh, world view and apply it and i uh, sorry it applies yeah. to the religion applies to martial arts and applies to everything in life you know you need to mm -hmm. be a more well-rounded person uh, and i and i genuinely believe that you know martial arts helps you on that journey along with other other sports as well but i mean i think martial arts themselves um they come with an inherent respect as well a lot of eastern martial arts uh, respect for the the teacher, respect for your fellow students. It's almost like a fraternity, um, yeah. and so it, it's it's a very very good uh, thing. I, I would all advocate. I think, uh, yeah, I think based off of that explanation and your sort of touch on it, 
it, it really intrigues a lot of people in terms of martial arts because a lot of the times people just want to get into you know boxing or mixed martial arts MMA just because of the hype and don't yeah. really understand that you know it, that that different sports have different sort of touches and philosophical backgrounds to them. So that's mm. uh, love the approach, honestly. I think I might start getting into it soon. <laughs> inshallah, inshallah. I look forward to it. <laughs> 100%. So I just wanted to kind of start off the, the, the topic in question. Obviously, since um, it is the month of Muharram, and uh, even though we have passed the 10 nights and 10 days of mourning, we still have a duty towards kind of mourning for Imam Hussein and not just mourning, but taking action for our future and our generations to come. Now, to sort of start off, like I said, I wanted to kind of start off with a fairly simple question, which is what does the Husseini lifestyle really mean? Because obviously we do have, we all want to kind of follow in the Imam's footsteps and they all have lived sort of lives that we choose or hope to replicate as much as possible. So what do you think or how do you think you could really explain as what it means? The Husseini lifestyle actually in reality means adopting the characteristics of Imam Hussein, his companions into one's life. Like why is it that these individuals became so immortal? You know, what characteristics did they have that made them take such a stance with such courage that they were able to excel and years have gone by and they're still remembered. Uh, and they're still, you know, you'll name your children after them. You will do everything uh, in your power to try and emulate them. Um, and I think the Husseini lifestyle is... What are the characteristics that say the Shahada had, and what is it that I can implement within, you know, my life, or which one of those should I have within my life? I think, in short, that is what the uh, Husseini lifestyle is. Alhamdulillah, and um, I couldn't agree more. I think uh, really interpreting or trying to kind of adopt that sort of lifestyle is even something on a personal note is something i've been trying to do for the past i believe two years and on, honestly it does come with a lot of challenges and a lot of change for the better but in that moment you don't know if you would really want in a sense which is uh i don't know i feel like it's something that honestly anyone that passes by me i'll just say you know just take his story just five minutes of it and just really reflect on it a little bit. Not not just the tragedy of Karbala, but even before that. A lot of his life before that has a lot of lessons in itself that could really help in day-to-day -day life. Uh, I just want to use that sort of understanding and kind of open up a bit more towards today's day and age. Obviously, with the youth of today, out to during the pandemic, a lot, a, a whole array of issues have sort of come up. And honestly, there, there, there's so many, it's really hard to tackle, even as a youth myself, trying to deal with certain situations, certain post-pandemic uh, issues, as people say. But one of the main things that I've noticed is positivity is something that 
lacks a lot, not just within our families, but even within communities at this point. When we kind of look at issues, it always stems towards that sort of lack of positivity in someone's life, especially after the post, like post-pandemic in particular. And sometimes it could be due to the lack of success in multiple areas, sometimes academics, um, social life, again, like I said, even within family. But it's how how can we use sort of um, Hussein and sort of his mission to change that missing piece in terms of positivity in our lives? I guess um, it would it would be what makes the shahada so positive. Yeah, so that's what we have to look at. In the height of all this tragedy, what is it that gives him that sense of hope? And that is the connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He holds the body of the six-month-old child in his hands and then he looks towards the heavens. My Lord, this is easy for me to bear, knowing that you are watching. You know, so that connection with Allah, that that belief that God will never do wrong by me. Like whatever I do, wherever I go, however it is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will never ever do wrong by me. And no matter what the difficulty is, I, you know, know that God has my best interests at heart. When I have that level of that outlook on life, then everything becomes positive. Because then I know, look, okay, if things aren't going well for me, and you know they, they might not be going according to my plan, but I know that God also has a plan and God is also uh, doing something for me. Uh, and he would never let me put myself or he would never burden me with something that he knew that I could not bear. So I think that connection with Allah, actually realizing that God is real, uh, fundamentally everything comes down to that. Yeah. that. Do I really believe that God exists? And when I can, when I can say, yes, I know he exists, then we work on, well, then this God that I know that exists will never, ever do anything wrong by me uh, because he's a loving God. He is a merciful God. We're often brought up with this idea of a wrathful, vengeful God. Yeah, 100%. Yeah? Uh, we're brought up with that, uh, that notion. And it's totally incorrect. It's totally incorrect. You know, there is, there is so much mercy of God on the day of judgment, for example, that shaitan himself will think, maybe I might be forgiven. The one that is the misguider of everyone. It's just like, yeah. the, maybe I might be forgiven. So the mercy of God is so vast and it encompasses everything. And when I realized that, that Allah is merciful, he is a merciful Lord, then naturally positivity will come my way. And when I can tell, when I can happily tell myself, look, you know, this, I will not, I will not allow myself to go down this destructive path or down the rabbit hole of thinking I'm alone 
and there's nothing that can help me through my difficulties because I know that Allah is always there to help me. 100%. I think uh, speaking about this, I even remember this line that you had mentioned in one of your lectures where you said that it's so hard for someone to go to hell that if you go, it's honestly because it's basically really hard to go in. It's easier for you to go to heaven than it is to go into hell. And I, I think ever since you've said yeah. that, it's stuck by constantly with me. Because then you start to look at kind of... You, even even if you look at the narrations, like day of judgment, someone is going uh, and he's being dragged to hell, saying like, this person needs to go to hell. And as he's being dragged, you know, he looks back towards the Arsh of Allah and the voice calls out that, stop, why did you look back? And he says, says, my Lord, I didn't expect this from you. I didn't expect that you would throw me in hell. Even though I lived a whole yeah. life of sin, I didn't expect that you would throw me in hell. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mm -hmm. says that I have accepted his lie, send him to heaven. Now the Urafa, when they discuss this, what do they mean by I've accepted his lie? Meaning in the world, he didn't have husn of them in Allah. He didn't have a good opinion of God. You know, he, he forgot God. But here, the fact that he's just simply lying about it, right? He's yeah. just, he's got enough wherewithal within him to lie and say, yeah. I didn't expect this from you. God says, I have accepted your life. I mean, that's how merciful Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. And, and it's those sort of small stories that people don't take enough importance to, but it has such big meaning just towards his sort of mercy and forgiveness. And even if you look at, there's so much sawab in anything and everything that you do that it's hard to even like by the time you go into guna it's just it's just un, it's crazy to think that uh, there's so much sawab out there just a smile to someone just thinking of a good deed just in itself gives you that sort of sawab i do 100 yeah agree i mean with that. even if you look at the uh the angels that are on your left and right right mm -hmm. and the narration say look uh, every time you do something good, every time you intend to do something good, the angel on the right, uh, the one that will write all your good deeds, will write one for you. You go and do that, he'll write 10 for you. And he'll do it quickly. But every time you sin, the angel on the left that is there to write down your sins, he's about to write down, but the one on the right says, wait, give him seven hours before you write it. It shows us the two things. One, yeah. the mercy of God. Number two, of these two angels, the superior is the right one. The one in charge is the one on the right. That's in charge of the, the good deeds, the noting yeah. down of good deeds. So he now is telling the, the other one, says, wait seven hours, give him a chance. Give this person a chance. They might end up doing uh, a salah, doing istighfar, or doing something good. Because in al-hasanat, your good actions, they consume yeah. your uh, evil actions. Yeah? Instantly, so it yeah. says, give him seven hours. So after every sin, you have seven hours to rectify it. Now imagine the mercy of God. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's honestly amazing. It gives a whole new outlook on everything that you do, even moving forward. I just want to touch, continue touching on speaking about sort of youth. 
there is obviously we need to we, we always remember the youth in Karbala and how their attachment to the religion at such, such a young age is honestly an inspiration. When you look at Shah Qasim, you look at only Muhammad, Hazrat Ali Akbar, amongst others, it's honestly amazing to see. But a lot of the times with youth currently, in, in today's world at least, the approach, you see that approach or a Western idea of finding religion not really relevant. Like, you know, you do your wajibat and that's just enough. You know, you do your fast, you do your five prayers and your parents will be off your back and you don't have to worry about anything else. You know, you don't have to go for majalis or anything. Why or how do you think we've reached this sort of point, regardless of how many personalities and stories and lessons we can take? You know, they're doing the wajibat. That's it. That's it. Like, that's that's fine. You're doing your wajibat. Mm -hmm. You staying away from haram, no problem. That's why. Don't want to go to majlis, don't go. It's cool. Because yeah. the majlis that we're doing is simply going to tell you this anyway, right? That's the whole point of it. Amr bin Ma'roof and Nehin Munkar. If you're doing your wajibat, you're staying away from haram, you're on the right path. Seriously. It's as easy as that. You don't need to complicate mm -hmm. it with all the extra things that we add on. Yeah. If someone can do that, yes. Coming to the mosque and uh, being in a community has its benefits. Yeah, it, it uh, you know, communal prayer, all of these things, they have their benefits as well. Now, why have we reached this state of apathy? I think it's because of a lack of inspiration, a lack of good role models, a disconnect between how one sees their elders act in the masjid compared to how they see them act outside of the masjid. Business practices versus how we act when we're in the mosque. You know, we're unethical mm -hmm. in terms of business, but, you know, we're holy as anything there. So a lot of youth, and rightfully, uh, are like, whoa, I can pray and I can stay away from haram. I don't need to be amongst this uh, hypocrisy. And yep. part of it you know, is true. Uh, you can try and guide and develop the community, but at, at one point, you know, the Quran says, save yourself and your family from the fire of hell. You know, that's that's the one thing. So if you're saying that there's these youth that are not connected to the masjid, but they're praying, and even if they're praying to get their parents off their back, no problem. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. afterwards the ma'rifah will come. As long as they're consistent, the ma'rifah will come. And so I think, mm -hmm. you know, part of it is, okay, great. You know, at least they're doing that. But yes, uh, we need to try and up the game a little bit. And when you look at uh, those in Karbala and things like that, you know, it's, it's a whole different mindset. The way that even you know, aside from the Ahlul Bayt, there are people that are, non Bayt. There's a young guy, um, like 13 or 14, uh, that the Maqatil talk about. And uh, they don't actually say his name. They say his father was just killed in the battle. And so he goes out, he gets permission from his mother, Zahir, and his mother is there as well. Uh, she's And this his father was one of the companions of Imam. So he gets permission, he goes out. And... Uh, 
you just see like the ma'rifah of this child. He's only 13, 14. Not sure if he met Imam Hussein before he, when he arrived, but we know yeah. that his father had ma'rifah of the Imam. Uh, and so he and his mother had love of the Imam. And so when he writes out, Amiri Husaynun wa ni'mal Amir, sururu fu'adil bashirin nadir, aliyun wa fatima walida. This is his war poem, you know, Amiri Husaynun wa ni'mal Amir. You know, Hussein is my master, and what a great master he is. He is the source of peace for the heart of uh, the Holy Prophet. You know, his mother and father, Ali and Fatima bin Nadir, then what greater honor, what greater virtue is there than this? In those four bait of, of those four lines of poetry, this young man has explained, you know, his ma'rifah of the imam you know his understanding even though he's not from ahlin bayt but it yeah. goes back to those parents it was those parents that instilled that love with purity no hypocrisy yeah 100 percent. i honestly like that uh sort of outlook it's you know when you do your wajibat eventually the ma'rifah will come and that's i think something that everyone should keep in mind and take note of as long as you're doing your wajib, I, I would—I mean, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but as long as you're doing your wajibat with a sincere heart or a sincere intention, that the rest sort of comes to you, just gravitates towards you in that sense. No, no, you don't have to be sincere either. Just do your wajibat. Oh, really? <laughs> Sincerity, all of that—that that all comes after. That's all part of that uh, understanding, mm -hmm. that ma'rifa. At the moment, you, you're being forced to pray. Just, okay, cool. That's fine. Just do it. Yeah. But it will come. It will come. Mm -hmm. Just keep on with it. You know, it's like um, when we're doing martial arts. You know, the, for years, we're just doing this one move. There's one move. But like, what in the world is this movement? <laughs> and then afterwards, we realize, oh, wait. After two or three years, that, wow. Okay, so this is how I can outstep a straight punch. And I can go around the outside and strike. Mm -hmm. At times, things don't make sense. But you know inside, it's a good thing for you. That's the fact that that's why you're praying, right? You're not hiding, yeah. pretending to pray and hiding away. You're praying, but you're not sincere. You're just getting it done. It's cool. One day that ma'rifah will come. Just stick to it. 100%. I think uh, actually I really like that answer. It gives a different outlook on things a lot. I think something I'll tell my brother as well. <laughs> to send the link to this podcast 100%. Now, I feel like uh since we're anyways talking about Husseini lifestyle, it's a bit of a question that I put down on a personal note. It's something I've kind of seen a lot lately and it's something that I feel should be touched on a bit more. I feel like it's not being touched on in communities much. So, although a lot of the times currently we recognize the right from wrong, the truth from falsehood. A lot of the times, even after identifying what's right and what's wrong, people would just prefer to be neutral in that sort of situation, whether it's on a political stance or even an Islamic stance. It's a lot of the times they're like, "No, no, no, I, I don't have, I don't have much say, I don't have much say in this," or "I, I prefer to stay away." Right? When, when you look at you know issues, whether it be in struggling countries, 
whether you look at conflicts, even when on an Islamic stance in our own school of thought, a lot of the times people just decide to be neutral and stay away from it. Why do you feel like that is the case? And if that is an issue, then how do we tackle that sort of issue? I think that um, it boils down to apathy, um, mm -hmm. generally, and uh, cowardice. Cowardice. If you're a coward, then no matter how much haq is placed in front of you, you, you will always side with batil, even though you know that haq is true. Yeah? So that's the first thing. Yeah, I don't, you know, Imam Ali, someone comes to me in Yemen and says, uh, Ali, are you with the haq or is uh, the wife of the Prophet Talha and Zubair, are they with the haq? Imam Ali says, mm -hmm. look, if I said to you, I'm with the haq, you're not going to believe me. So the first thing is identify haq. Identify the truth. Then find the people of the truth. Now, if you're saying that someone's identified the truth and knows something is wrong, but then they're like, I don't want to get involved. You know, it's nothing to do with me. I don't want to rock the boat. I'll just stay quiet while this sin, this deviation is occurring. Then that's cowardice, you know. And in Karbala, we have examples of it. Amr ibn Sa'ad, pure cowardice. Imam Hussain comes to him, says to him, look, you know, come join me. Uh, and he says, oh, I can't, you know, this and that. Imam says, you know, he goes, I know you're on truth and I know all of this, but, you know, I have a family to take care of. Imam says, we'll take care of them. He says, oh, but, you know, they've offered me money. He says, we'll give you money as well. He says, oh, they've offered me the governorship array. So all of these were excuses that were indicative of his cowardship. He realized where the truth was, but he chose not to go and join the imam. This coward. It's the actions of a coward. Qadi Shuray in Kufa, the one who, and Qadi Shuray is the justice, chief justice in the hukuma, in the government of Amir al-Mu'mineen. Imagine. And then, when it comes to Ibn Ziyad coming to Kufa, that same Qadi Shuray is the one who signs the fatwa saying that Imam Hussein is wajib al-Qatil. So, you know, it comes down to that cowardice. Doesn't want to give go towards truth. You know, there's too much attachment to this world. Um, and doesn't want uh, the truth to be to be known or doesn't the truth is hard and that is that's the reality you know following the truth is hard and it requires you to have the resolve of steel following truth will never ever be easy falsehood is always easier and the coward will always go for the easier option i hope that um, as things sort of change, I uh, hope change for the better, we could see our sort of, you know, communities move away from the whole neutral aspect of things and move towards truth and uh, staying away from the whole falsehood. Um, it's something I really hope happens sooner rather than later because it's very sad to see. <clears throat> but since we're still on the topic of uh, injustice in a sense, sort of topic, I just wanted to quickly kind of touch on something. Um, Imam Hussein stood up against injustice. He stood up for us 
as Shias and saved Islam for us in that moment. But it seems as though we would accept and be grateful for a sacrifice, but not move towards fighting injustice ourselves. Almost sort of similar to my previous issue or question. But how do we take those steps towards really giving back and truly being grateful for a sacrifice rather than just sitting and remembering his story year in, year out? Um, the retelling of uh, the Karbala uh, narrative uh, and mm -hmm. the story is very important. Uh, it has been emphasized by all of the Imams. To remember, he says because and someone asked the Imam, like, why did you place so much emphasis on Ashura, the first 10 nights of Muharram, you know, the morning of Sayyidina Shahada? Because he says, because I fear that the people will forget Ashura like they forgot Ghadir. Yeah, and history has told us, like, a huge event like Ghadir, just forgotten by the Imam. Yeah, just forgotten by historians. Mm -hmm. The Imams very much emphasized the day of Ashura and uh, the 10 nights of Muharram and the morning for Aba Abdullah. So that is a very good thing. The second thing is that when you come to talk about um, injustice, stand against, uh, stance against oppression, uh, all of this is just all, these are all byproducts. And that's why we haven't been able to emulate that. They're all byproducts. Byproducts of what? Of the Imam's dedication to God. Yeah? His, yeah. his main purpose to go to Karbala wasn't fight the despot, wasn't all this. It was for Allah. And for as Allah. a result of it, a byproduct of that going to Karbala was he became the face of uh, uh, the stance against injustice. He became the face of uh, uh, the 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 face of those that are oppressed around the world. He became a figurehead. But the fundamental thing was that he went for the sake of God. Now, why haven't we been able to emulate any of those? Because we're not going for God. Yeah. The aim is never for God. We're always going after the, the little side parts. We're asking the whole world who is Hussein, but actually we ourselves don't even know. We ourselves don't even understand. And that's the problem. So we can go out and we can give out as many roses as we want. But it's not gonna it's not gonna attract people to the deen. You might attract them to Imam Hussein, but Imam Hussein was attracting you to God. Yeah? And so yeah. we're going out and we're doing all this, but do I really understand what Sayyidul Shahada uh, went to Karbala for? You know. Why the importance? Like I've seen many of these campaigns, and they're like, "Yeah, we want to take the message of Mal Hussein, but we don't want to talk about Azadari. We don't talk about crying." Boy, Imam Hussein himself talked about crying. Imam Hussein, yeah. salam, as well, said, "You know, remember me, cry over me, wail over me." We're just going to blanket remove that from the whole mission of Hussein. No, this, these tears, this these morning ceremonies, they have a benefit. Uh, to the human soul and the human psyche. That aside, uh, I think one of the reasons why we haven't truly been able to, and I'm not, I'm not knocking any campaign. I think it's great. People are doing their own thing. It's just we need to adjust our vision. The 
and it's just a slight tweak. And that is that Imam Hussein alayhi salam went to Karbala for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a free man. We are slaves. Yeah? We are yeah. slaves. Slaves of this world. And the two beautiful lines in uh, that Imam Hussein has. Um, one is said that he said it in Karbala or maybe in this journey. He says, Anas dunya So mankind is a slave of the world and the religion is but a taste on his tongue. When it suits him, he keeps it. But when he's tested with difficulty, then then very few of them are uh, religion. Very few of them very few of them maintain that religion. They leave, they leave it. That's the first one. Second one is Imam Hussein when he falls from his horse and he's lying motionless. They say that we thought he had died. So there were nobody would dare approach him. So they said, um, how do we check if Hussein is alive or dead? Someone said, look, I will shout out, uh, turn your horses and turn them towards the tents. Yeah. And so he shouted out, attack the tents. And as the horses began to move, the body of Imam Hussein began to uh, move. He lifts himself up. He holds onto a broken spear and he lifts himself to his knees because that's all the strength he has left in his body. And he calls out to them. He says to them, look, if you don't have a religion, and you don't fear the day of judgment, at least be free men in this world. Don't attack the tents and the women and the children. Yeah, at least be free men. Imam Hussain is from these two statements. He went as a free man, a free man that's not attached, that's not worried about what people will think. And when Haq is Haq, his brother came, his brother-in-law came, his, his uh, you know, the other Ra'asa and the people came, don't go, don't go, this is, just do Bay'ah. Abdullah ibn Umar, the, the son of the second Khalifa is like, just do Bay'ah to Yazid, it's okay, he'll pass, he'll only be here for a few years, he's, you know, he's on a path of self-destruction anyway. Mom said, no, we can't. So we're doing all of these campaigns and stuff like that, and we're trying to tackle injustice, but we're not tackling the fundamental reason that Imam that that drove Imam Hussein. Imam Hussein's why? Imam Hussein's why was God. Like, why are you doing this? Because God. This is why I'm doing it. I'm doing it for God. So we. Although we think we're do, no, I, mean, I can't quote. People are doing it for Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, but at the same time, there needs to be an adjustment so that um, we truly are doing it without the attachment of you know. People do these marketing campaigns, and I've been quite close to a few of them, and um, it just becomes about. How many billboards can we get it on? How many buses yeah. can we display on? How many phone booths and how many people? And all of these things. But that's not the how aim. How many clicks? That's not the aim. Uh, and we become taken with all the small things and we just don't. We've lost that aim. Imam Hussein yeah. fundamentally went for God. It was a godly act that he did. It was an act of servitude to God. 
what he did. And then a byproduct of it is a stance against injustice and all the other things. So would you say that the Husseini lifestyle just links back to living in the way of God? Yes, fundamentally, that's what it is. You know, living in the living a God-centric life, a life that is one is asking themselves constantly, what does God want from me? What does my Imam want from me? I mean, what my Imam wants from me and what God wants from me is one and the same thing. You know, there's yeah. no there's no difference. The Imams are, are the manifestation of the the hundred percent manifestation of the sifat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They draw directly from the the essence, the, uh, from the the names of God, and then through them, the rest of all of these things are distributed uh, to the angels and all of the. But the the the, the wali of God, those at the level of wilayah tamma, at total wilayah, draw directly from God. They are the barrier between the makhluk and Allah subhanahu wa taala. But between them and Allah. There is no barrier. There is no barrier. And so, yeah. whatever the Imam and whatever Allah wants are one and the same. So, I fundamentally must live that godly life if I'm ever to try and implement uh, the lifestyle of Imam Hussain. Sheikh, um, that really was uh, honestly uh, an eye opener, I think, for everyone listening and beyond. Um, and I really, uh, I think it's sure. something that's, again, something that you've said that's really going to stick, and I hope sticks with everybody else listening to this. Um, before we sort of end this episode and before we draw this to a close, I just wanted to ask something quickly. Um, this is something I want to sort of ask all of our guests that come on, is what's one piece of advice that you'd like to give to the youth today? Oh, of course, there's a million, there's a, there's a lot that you've said, but what's that one piece of advice that you just want to give for all the youth currently? <laughs> now, you've, now you've put me on the spot. Um, put you on the spot, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't have to be um, something that big. That I way. think the one piece of advice that I will give to everyone is. Um, Ask yourself, what is your ambition in life? Imam Ali salam, he says, What does he live for? What does he, what does he get up in the morning for? If you're living for a godly aim, to try and change society, to make things better, even if that godly aim is by going to work, by earning it, so that then you can develop your community, develop, then do that. But at the same time, Imam Ali says, the man who goes to work or the woman who goes to work and their sole ambition in life is just to eat, uh, just to put food on their table and eat it, says their worth is equivalent to that which comes out of their backside, having consumed it. <laughs> it's a massive statement. So yeah. the first thing is that you know, live for a higher goal, live for a higher uh, purpose. And I think if we can inculcate that ambition in ourselves, and live for a, a higher purpose. You know, know that I am limitless. My ability to progress is limitless because God is limitless. Then when I understand that, then, you know, I'll push myself and try and become 
the best version of myself that I can. 100%. Thank you. Um, and on that note, I think, uh, Sheikh, I'd like to thank you so much. It was honestly a pleasure having you on this first episode of the Harks podcast. Um, we really do appreciate you even taking the time out for this. It's honestly amazing. And we hope, inshallah, to see you again very, very soon, sooner rather than later. Inshallah, inshallah. And uh, inshallah, I hope uh, everyone, everyone listening enjoyed this podcast. And inshallah, we'll be doing more over the course of the next month. So please keep, keep on staying tuned. Keep posting updates as and when needed. And uh, with that, wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.